Spirit. Amen. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into its granary. With the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take that as my text this morning, or part of it, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 3. In particular, I want to focus on verses 21 and 22. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1020, Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, and beginning at verse 21. This morning I want to talk on this subject of who Jesus is, God's perspective, and yours. Who Jesus is, God's perspective, and yours. Now, truth be told, we don't always think the way that God thinks or see things the way that God sees them. In fact, I was thinking about this. This is one of the takeaways, if you like, of Jesus' famous story of the prodigal son, which is also in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, it is peculiar to the Gospel of Luke. It's found nowhere else. In fact, there's things about our text this morning that are only found in Luke, and we'll touch on that later. But in Luke 15, and beginning at verse 11, Jesus talks, as you know the story, Jesus talks about a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property, property that's coming to me. And so we read, and the father divided his property between the two sons. And uh, we read in verse 13, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, a far, I'm sure he got as far away from his father <laughs> as he could. And we're told, and there he squandered his property with reckless living. And we're told, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And the younger son was longing to be fed with the pods, probably the pods from the carob plant, what we would think of as garbage. I mean, you, you take the peas out of the pod and you cook the peas and you throw the pods away. 
but they were feeding that to the pigs, these carob pods. And he was longing to be fed with them, what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so uh, we are told that he came to himself. <laughs> and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. And he said, and so I'll rise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so Jesus tells us, and so he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way away, his father saw him and had compassion on this younger son. And the father ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've uh, sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But Jesus says that the father said to the servants that had run out there beside him, you know, bring quickly the best robe and put it on my son and, and a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and, and bring the fatted calf and kill it because we're going to celebrate. <laughs> For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But then Jesus says that the father's older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard all this music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, what's all this about? And the servant said, well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And Jesus said that the older brother was angry and refused to go in. In fact, he never went in. Because what pleased the father, and of course in this story, the father of this story is a metaphor for God the Father. What pleased the father was not pleasing to him. He didn't share his father's perspective. He didn't love with his, what his father loved, and he didn't find joy in what rejoiced the heart of his father. And what about what God the Father thinks and feels about the Son, Jesus? And what about you and me? <laughs> Do we share the Father's perspective on the Son? In fact, Luke tells us in our text that when all the people were being baptized, that is, that they were being baptized by John the Baptist in the river Jordan and confessing their sins. And he says, and when Jesus was being baptized, not that Jesus had any sins to confess. Indeed, uh, Jesus, when he was baptized, didn't have any sins to confess and he wasn't in need of forgiveness. In fact, in another place, Jesus says famously, I do always those things which please God the Father. Or in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, Jesus, uh, we, we read that Jesus was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, and yet without sin. 
are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writing to the Corinthian believers, said, For our sake, he, that is God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus wasn't baptized because he had sins to confess or because he was in need of forgiveness. Rather, Jesus was baptized as part of his radical association with us who do need to confess and who are in need of forgiveness. And did you, you might think of it the same way that we generally think of the cross. Now, Jesus was, uh, died on the cross. He wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for our sins. And so we read, as the prophet wrote, 500 years before Jesus came around, in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. It's very, very clear, isn't it? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or Peter, writing to the community to which he was writing, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, he himself, referring to Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And so Luke tells us in our text that uh, when all of the people were baptized uh, and when Jesus also was baptized and when he was praying, which is unique to Luke, no one else mentions that. It's not mentioned in John, it's not mentioned in Matthew, it's not mentioned in Mark. That Jesus came up out of the water and he was praying. In fact, prayer is a key theme in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus, in the Greek, it's in the present tense, that he was praying. And while he was praying, something happened. In fact, three things happened. Luke mentions first that the heavens were open. That is the sky. You can imagine what that might have been like. He doesn't describe it other than just to say it sort of as a matter of fact. But the heavens were opened, and then he says in verse 22, and, this, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, descended on Jesus. He says in bodily form, which is unique to Luke, uh, like a dove. In fact, the Holy Spirit is another key. In fact, if you, some of you know that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and, and his sequel to that was the Acts of the Apostles. And, and throughout uh, Luke and Acts, the Holy Spirit is a very common and strong theme. For instance, as you move through the Gospel of, of, of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Or chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus, in his famous sermon at Nazareth, his hometown, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
or in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, and it says, and then Peter filled with the Spirit, and he gave his dynamic, Spirit-filled speech. And so the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form. He, Luke says, like a dove. He doesn't say it was a dove. But like a dove, and then he's the only one who mentions this, as I just mentioned, in bodily form. And so there was some sort of thing that whoever was describing it originally, it seemed kind of like a dove, like a, some kind of a peaceful, bright, white thing. In fact, ever since this, that in the church, the dove has served as a symbol for the Holy Spirit, oftentimes in the artwork of the church. But no, and notice, too, you know, the presence of the Holy Trinity. Jesus is there. He's the one who's baptized. The Holy Spirit comes and rests on him like a dove. And then the Father speaks. The Son is there. The Holy Spirit is there. The Father is there. Indeed, Luke continues, and a voice came from heaven, which says, you are my beloved son. That's the, that's the speech of the Father. You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. This is sometimes referred to as the divine affirmation. That Jesus is loved by the Father. I love you. You are the beloved. And that to the Father, Jesus is a source of great joy. In fact, in the New Living Translations, it, it's translated this way. You are, my, you are my dearly loved son. And you bring me great joy. And so I wonder, do you love Jesus like that? Do you share that sentiment, that perspective with God the Father? And does Jesus bring you great joy? Which when I say it, I think like, ah, oh, Scott, dear me, you know? Peter, again, writing to the community to which he was writing, talks just like this. In fact, when he describes the experience of the earliest church, love and joy are right in the center of it. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, he's writing to them. See, Peter had seen the risen Lord. They hadn't. <laughs> but he had. And you remember the words of Jesus to Thomas. Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. And notice what Peter writes to this community of believers. Even though you have never seen Jesus, you love him. <laughs> and though you do not see him now, you trust in him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. It's not just joy. It's over the top. It's my cup runneth over kind of joy. It's God's kind of joy. Or as uh, Eugene Peterson defined joy in his introduction to the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians, he defined joy as life in excess. <laughs> 
life in excess. Think of all the things that have put you over the top. And why couldn't that possibly apply to Christ? <laughs> and in fact, if you'd know him as the people to whom Peter is writing, if we can tap into the divine perspective, it's almost hard to help. And so do you love Jesus like that? Does he bring you that kind of joy? And if he doesn't, why do you suppose that is? <laughs> Who Jesus is, God's perspective, and yours. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the bread of life. You're the light of the world. You're the resurrection and the life. You're all of these things. Why wouldn't these things bring us joy? You bring joy to the Father. Why wouldn't we find you a source of extraordinary joy, even as Peter is talking and two, I don't think that Peter is just describing what those Christian people in that Christian community in the first century were experiencing. He's talking about his own experience. And so why not us? To get to know you, to see you, to hear your voice when we read the scriptures. In fact, I don't know, Lord, how can we fall in love with you or anyone else that we don't spend time with getting to know? And then when we find out who you are and what you're really like, your grace, your power, your mercy, your wisdom. I, I think of Peter, Lord, when all of those people left you. And then you turned to the 12 and you said, you're leaving too? And Peter said to you, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. <laughs> where can we go, Lord? And so help us to know you the way you really are, not the way you're presented in so many ways. I don't know how you feel about that. I know how I feel about it. As I would feel about anyone I love who's misrepresented. <laughs> are turned into some sort of a commodity for sale. Help us to know you, Lord Jesus, as you really are, that we might love you and find you a source of joy, indeed the source of joy, like no other. I pray in Jesus' name, your name. Amen.